live and we're live there we go yeah <laughs> what's up guys uh welcome george how you doing bro i'm doing real well i sure appreciate you having me on rich i'm a huge fan of the show and obviously i'm a big fan of uh your content and rollo's content so i'm really happy to be here it's an honor to be on the broadcast with you awesome so um some guys don't know who you are and um you know you're a car guy you're a red pill economist you i mean you know a lot about the ladies too you've got some interesting friends like robert kiyosaki you run a, a, a cool <laughs> conference i mean i haven't seen it yet but i've heard a lot of stories about it but um i'm i'm gonna start from the get-go here and just say guys you want to go subscribe to his channel so it's hyperlinked in the title of the video um but what's like your batman origin story like what like what bat cave did you come out of to create this like red pill economist supercar driving like capitalist dude <laughs> that's, that's a good question i just uh you know i just out of college i i just was like well let's just start a business and i uh i tried to start a a, a t-shirt business because it was the only thing i could kind of think to do and at the time i was living in vegas and um so I, I i didn't know anything about it but i'm like well i'll just set this up and i need a gig that i can work nights uh so i can allocate the days to kind of building the little t-shirt business and so i got a gig working at the golden nugget uh valet in fact at the golden nugget uh down in in uh in vegas so i was working graveyard four graveyards um every uh week How so i that? oh i was in like my mid-20s something oh, okay. like that okay yeah so you had a t-shirt business in vegas yeah i mean it didn't go anywhere i lost <laughs> money but that was the the, the first uh kind of trial balloon Let and then just kind of ask you a question about like moving physical products because i always get like people always ask me business questions they have a business idea I've had people do one-on-one -on -one consults with me with, you know, physical product businesses often. Like, what's your take on moving T-shirts? It doesn't matter what it is, you know, T-shirts, trinkets, nutraceuticals, like anything no, It's a waste of time. Yeah. It, now, now it is. And you got to yeah. keep in mind, this was back in the 90s. And the uh, are a lot slimmer now. Yeah, you, you just, you, you didn't have the, uh, the opportunity with digital products that you have now. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what we do or what I do on YouTube is a great example of that, you know, I just started, uh, the rebel capitalist show the podcast, uh, at the beginning of 2020. And I started the George Gammon YouTube channel at, in the middle latter stages of 2019. And, you know, you grow it to a brand to where now you can sell at a live event with 700, uh, attendees, or I've got a, a membership program called rebel capitalist pro. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got over 800 uh, subscribers for that. And that's just an opportunity that was not there in the mid-90s when mm -hmm. I got to the game. Even in the early 2000s, when I kind of figured out what not to do uh, by having failed so many times. And then I started to, to make a substantial amount of money uh, with the entrepreneurial ventures uh, but even back then you know you kind of had to have a brick and mortar location i remember uh the first business that i started that did really well i had about a hundred grand saved up and i borrowed 400 because you needed 500 to start the business and have enough runway to where you could start having positive cash flow and uh you know now and then i grew that business to a point where it was making you know 
maybe a million dollars a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing is, uh, now you can create that same type of income with 500 bucks, with a thousand. And it's true. It's never been easier to make money. It never has been. Now, now that said, the barrier of entry is a lot lower. But but if you have something that uh, makes what you do unique, and you, if you have an edged, then it's going to be tough for people to compete with you because they can't replicate what you do. Yeah, and content uh, is king, right? I mean, like you probably see people in your space, you know, when you talk about economics um, that just haven't got a clue what they're doing. And it's like, you know, like, did you even have a day job anywhere close to this space at one point? Or is this just shit you're making up because you well, read an article on Twitter? Don't have a clue what they're doing, Rich. Yeah. So the people in the central banks don't have a clue. So Yeah. I want to talk clear. about your views on economy too. But hey, let me ask this question because I asked Aaron Cleary this, you know, as well when I was chatting with him on my live. And uh, do you think it's easier to find that one true love, like that one kind of perfect girl to be a partner in your life? Or is it easier to make a business that throws off a million dollars a year in revenue? Well, I don't know what's easiest. I know what path you should take. That, that That's easy. So it's a two-part question now. So which one do you think is easier, making a million dollars a year or the girl? And which path should you take? You got to make the million dollars because then you'll get both. Right. Uh, and and if, if, if you're not out there uh, trying to make the million dollars, then even if you get hooked up with a, a great gal, you're, you're going to lose her. Um, and I'm not saying that it's all about money. That's not what I'm saying there. But what I am saying is that guys have to have that ambition. How did and, you get red pilled, by the way? Well, like, was it a girl? Was it a disappointment? No, no, no. Like, was it just a sequence of events? Like, no, what no. The red pill? Like, what brought you to Rolo stuff and seeing my stuff? Well, I've been single since college. Yeah. And I, I've, you know, you want to term, use the term spinning plates or whatever, you know, yeah. uh, and, and even prior to that, even when I was in grade school and, and high school, I, I, that was never a problem for me as far as, uh, we'll say getting a date right <laughs> you know that's never really an issue and then uh i played a lot of sports and i was athletic and uh i just um you know it's just let's we'll just leave it at that it was never an issue okay and then i started to make uh quite a bit of money and uh so then it became even easier uh than it was before and before it was very very how old easy. were you when you made your first million i was a self-made millionaire at 34 cool and so, uh, and you're, and you're how old now? 48. Oh shit. You're almost the same age as me, man. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you're exactly the same age as me. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, so it was never an issue. And, um, what was fascinating, this must've been 2007 or something like that. And I never watched TV, but I stumbled across mystery show. Mm-hmm. Remember, mystery uh, Method. No, well, his show first. I stumbled across his show. Remember uh, the one where he walked around on the platforms with the painted fingernails and the big hat and all that. Yeah, and he'd show the 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 the, the nerdy kids, you know, yeah. what they were doing wrong and stuff. What the heck was it called? The lovable loser or something? I don't yeah. know what it was. Yeah. But anyway, I saw that show that he had on VH1, and I was immediately uh, interested by it. You know, I'm like, well, this is kind of a fascinating concept. <laughs> and and then I I started to listen to the psychology behind what he was talking about. And I'm like, wait a minute, this, this makes sense because this aligns 
with all of the experience I have had with women up to that point. And not just me, but my, my buddies in college, you know, yeah. you got some buddies in college that it's weird. Eh? Like it's Brad like, Pitt, you know, it's then you like got seeing other the buddies code in the matrix. Pitt. Like you see how everything works, you know, yeah, instead and of I, seeing like the summary, you see like the full equation to get to the summary. Yeah. And, and when I saw what he was teaching the, the, the nerdy kids or whatever, and you know how that, that was all the guys that I knew in college and in high school for that matter, that just had women just flock to them just naturally. Mm. That's how they were. That was just their normal personality. You know, when he was talking about nagging or something like mm -hmm. that, or mm -hmm. it was just, that was just the, the way they naturally were. They, they came from a mindset. I don't know what's first, the chicken or the egg, but they would come from a mindset of total abundance mm. when it comes to women. Uh, and, and, and instead of this scarcity mindset and because they always felt as though there was just an abundance and they always had an abundance when they were uh, texting, or, you know, back in the day, paging or whatever, you know, when they were talking to the gals around them. That really dates you when you talk that. about paging. So for those of you that are watching this that are in like the core of my demographic that probably never heard of pagers, we used to carry around these little boxes on our belt and they would buzz with a number on top of it. And it was usually, yeah. you know, somebody was calling you to call you back at that number so they could get you. Right, or you could check your voicemail. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, but uh, what mystery was talking about, I'm like, that's it. all the guys that I know where this came very easy. This is just how they are naturally. So it kind of went from a subconscious thing to a conscious thing. And then he just kind of made it a science, but that's what really, uh, uh fascinated me. And then, but you know, the key component that he was missing is he obviously tells you, you know, how to interact, uh, when you first meet a gal, and that's going to be beneficial if you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but then once you start to date the gal, you know, that's when you have to read Rolo stuff. Mm -hmm. Because if you just have mystery stuff, let's say if you just have game mm -hmm. without the red pill stuff, you're, 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 you're still not going to. Children with dynamite. You're going to screw up and cause problems. Hey, yeah, you've you never go. been married. You said you've never had a long-term relationship. So you've mostly been a lifetime plate spinner. I mean, did you ever get like. What stopped you from inviting a woman into your life on a more intimate basis? I think there's a lot of things. First and foremost, when I uh, got out of college, I, I I knew that that, well, you know, you don't have the conscious thought. I was just hardcore entrepreneur. That's all I wanted to do is make money. I, I just really. The, Did you have an icon that you followed, uh, like somebody that inspired you? What's that? Did you have an icon that you followed, like somebody that inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Like, I want to be that guy? Mm -mm. No. Even I? No, I, I just, I wanted to make money and I wanted to figure out ways to make money. And, um, you know, once I got my claws into something, uh, I, I, I've been like this my whole life. I get very OCD. Yeah. And so um, it can be good and it can be bad, but I, I, I'd get into a business and I just get tunnel vision where I wouldn't date. I mean, I, you know, I'd go out with gals here and there, but I, I, it wasn't even part of my conscious thought for uh, a long periods of time when I was just hyper-focused on uh, building a business, as an example. So, um, you know, I, there's there's a lot of things that go into it. I'm, I've always been very independent. Um, and you saw women as getting in the way of that goal? Like, they distract you from it or take you away from it or... Well, I think you can definitely uh, uh, allow that to happen where mm -hmm. uh, gals can be. A dis I think for 99% of guys out there, they're a huge distraction. 
mm. because they allocate so much time and energy into pursuing women when if they would just take that same time and energy into pursuing their business or pursuing excellence, like you say, the mm. women would fall into place. See, that's what guys don't understand. They, they mm. think that they actively have to pursue women. And that's it, it's not the case. If you pursue other things and if you pursue personal growth and professional growth, then the, the, you don't have to pursue the women. They'll pursue you. It's, and, it's four words. Chase excellence, not women. Yeah. That's all you need to know. I mean, if you yeah. can do that well, and you know, when women start coming into your life, you know, you don't screw it up by being a total simp or like a plugged in beta. Um, it's not hard <laughs> and it's fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and the magic to what you just said is, is not only if you're single, but if you are in a relationship, it's just as applicable, mm -hmm. if not more so. Because There's a lot of guys with a lot of money out there, and I'm sure you see a lot of them too, that have been very successful. They've put a dent in the universe. They've built some kind of world-class product or service. They've changed people's lives. You know, things have improved and they have a massive store of value of it with AKA money, you know, as a result of that. But they just like suck so bad with women, man. Like they've been through multiple marriages. They have just women that they just bend the knee to completely, even though they're like champions of their craft. I'm, I'm not going to mention any names, but but you and I both know uh, people that I'm very, very good friends with mm -hmm. that would at, at, that would admit that they fall into that category to a great degree. Happens to a lot of men, man. And I like I wish I could talk to more of those guys. Right. Like I talk to a lot of dudes, but I but those guys would have the biggest effect because of what they do in their lives with their businesses. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable that they can um, be so. Uh, I don't know if alpha is the right word in their business life, mm -hmm. yet be so beta in their personal, personal life. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I've never yeah, it's a huge risk. That, that 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 is, I think, uh, the majority of guys that are like you know because the majority of the guys have this um, idea of what women want, mm -hmm. and it's just completely skewed uh, for whatever reason. They they think that. Well, women want you to just constantly compliment them and constantly buy them chocolates and roses and constantly just to defer to them. them to every single decision you make. And what they don't oh. understand, yeah, is, is that's that's not that's not the way it works. That's not work. what they want. And I think even gals who are honest, you know, if if, if you say, hey, would you, would you want uh, a guy who behaves this way or this way? They'd say, no, 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 that other if they're too sappy, if they're too over the top, it's just a complete turnoff. But it's not to say that you, you have to be a jerk or you have to be an asshole. That that's, yeah. that's really, and see, yeah, guys out. take it too far mm -hmm. and then they become a jerk. You've got to be this even uh, kind of right in the middle, I think. And uh, you know, not to be cliche, but if you look at like a, a James Bond type figure, how you know, you're in control, you've, you've maintained a uh, frame to, mm -hmm. to use your term, but at the same time, you're a gentleman. When you're in the presence of that gal, you're an extreme, extreme gentleman. Mm -hmm. But you're you're calling the shots, you know, and 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 you are um, someone that uh, any woman would look up to and actually respect. And I think women respect ambition, and uh, they also respect a guy that's a decision maker, um, that is a leader of other men that can solve problems mm -hmm. and uh, that can take control of a situation while at the same time, someone that's going to treat them well.
you know? Yeah. And, and guys just James Bond is like the perfect avatar for that. I think you really, you know, hit the nail on the head. Cause I, cause I've talked to a lot of guys now privately that are, that are seasoned gentlemen. And I think the James Bond avatar is probably the best way to accurately define that. I mean, you want to aim for a target, aim for that. It's not a bad target to aim for. Yeah. It's just, you're, you're in control of, of, you, you know you what? Speaking you, of that target, you're in control, but yet you're a gentleman at the same time. You're not. You're not a prick. You're not arrogant. You're exactly. not over the top. You know. Yeah, and you know, speaking of that target, you know, um, James Bond happened to be a car guy. He had a thing for Aston Martins. Yeah, yeah, I had an Aston <laughs> back in, uh, I think it's 2011 or something, and that is just a piece of garbage. It's a DB9, <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it's fun Did to you look have at. V12 in it. Uh yeah yeah I had the V12. I came I, I came this close to buying a 2008 DBS, you know the one from Casino yeah. Royale, even in yeah. like the same colors, you know, from the film with like that that like the silver gray. Oh, it was a gorgeous car, gorgeous car. It was like 120 grand when I was looking at it. They're like well over 220 thousand. Like some of these things can really pump up in value. Eh? Yeah yeah they can't. Well, especially some of the the, the right cars. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're really a store of value, and they can definitely appreciate that's for sure. Do you have um, any cars as like investments right now? Because I mean, I have a bunch of trucks. trucks I talk about that on my channel all the time. Mid nineties uh, and late nineties like Land Rovers. No, Ford F two fifties and three fifties with a seven three diesel. Okay, I, I've I've collected a ton of them. And man, they just, they stay really consistent with inflation and, and they've appreciated massively over the mm. past uh, two or three years. Are those or fun so. to drive? Like, I mean, I've driven a couple of big diesel trucks, but I always found them just kind of like, you know, I feel like I should have a trailer on them and, and towing something. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know that I would buy it because it's fun to drive. Uh, it all depends where you live too. Like, like right now I've got one of them up uh, that I'm... Well, I just, it's a long story, but I've got one here in my garage and I'm in a high rise condominium building that has valet right. and all the parking is, is underground and it's a big, it's a pain in the ass <laughs> Try to park the thing and get it around and stuff. And it, it's, it's definitely not the McLaren. So I've got to figure out another yeah, uh, what's the, um, driver car. Yeah. What's the scoop on the McLaren? So you got a, a 570. GT, which let me see if I can find a picture because I was actually looking at these two. Uh, and 570 GT, and how long you had it? Just a couple months or so. I bought it when I was in Miami for my live event, and yeah. I usually I kind of go in and out of cars maybe once every six months or so. I, I don't know if I'll still be in the States uh, next year, we'll see how the world looks, yeah. but uh, I just signed a six month lease here, so I thought. Uh, it'd be a fun car to have, and I figured I could just flip it at Barrett, at Barrett yeah, Jackson. It's, in, uh, it's a in, really nice, swoopy-looking uh, body design, and it's got a slightly softer suspension. The springs are like ten percent softer, or something yeah. like that. But yeah. it's got the same power as the five seventy, so it's a rapid car. I mean, I drove the five seventy. Yeah, it's it's really really quick. Um, it's th there's some quality oh, issues. Yeah, quality here. Um, we were talking about these, you know, before we went live, and I was talking to you about the Elva, which is this thing over here. A friend of mine just bought this thing. Wow. <laughs> there's no windshield. There's no roof to it. You have to wear helmets. Uh, depending on how you spec it, and this one has a livery paint job. Like, this is not stickers in the car. Like, this is painted that way from the factory. Yeah. These things can be upwards of, like, 1.5, 2 million, 2.5 million, you know, depending on how, <laughs> how much you want to spend on it. Yeah, see... The thing is, is, is 
I always think about okay, if I'm going to drop that's a million, the LT I was telling you about earlier too. So that's a seven six seven six five LT. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're fantastic cars, and just they're just wicked fast. Oh yeah. I just think the, um, you know, it. it I don't want to say that the the quality is the construction quality is poor, but it, it's just not as solid as the like a, a Mercedes. Like the, the, uh, we were talking before we went live. You know, there's yeah. like trim pieces that you kind of push and they like wobble a little bit. You know, yeah. or yeah. if you get a Mercedes as an example, everything everything just robots gonna be, built it. Yeah, yeah, it's just going to be solid. And I had a, a Giardo back in the day, and um, you know that was fantastic. There, yeah. it was just really put together. But basically, you're buying uh, an Audi mm-hmm. with uh, a V10 Lamborghini engine in it. That's what yeah. the Giardo was. And yeah. so, um, you know, that engine it, was was um, hand built by Porsche. That uh, contract was sent to Porsche to build the engine. I didn't know that. The, yeah, for the R8 and for the. Um, Gallardo generation, I think leading up to the Huracan, I'm not sure if they still do it for that, but but for the R8s and the um, Gallardos at the time, they were hand-built by Porsche. Great engines. Yeah. I mean, I've got an R8, so I think uh, you already know this, and most of my viewers, I mean, I don't post as many car videos as I used to, but that R8 is also a store of value, right? That's, yeah, that's, that's um, really been a store of value. Yeah, like the V10s with the manuals. I saw one that, that sold on Bring a Trailer the other day for 270000 for a 2012. Yeah, any any but, manual, I yeah. think, is, if you get like a manual Hellcat or something yeah. like that, I think it, it would be the same thing if you hold on to it uh, for a few years. I had an R8 as well, but I had the back prior uh, to the V10, I had a V8. V8, yeah. Yeah, I drove one of those and I found it wasn't that, just wasn't quick enough. But the McLarens are off the chart, eh? Like that thing, it's a freaking spaceship. <laughs> it's, it's especially once you get into the power band when the turbos kick in. It's I mean, so sick. Rip your face off fast. I mean, it almost. Have you ever like, driven like the, the um, 720 forward. or a 765 LT? Have you driven anything? Uh-uh. That, that, that active error, you know, with the wing, you know, in the back, how it flips up like that. That thing makes a big difference, man. There's times where you're, where you're letting it rip and you, and you see a corner come in, and I look down at the speed. I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like I'm going that fast?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Slam on the brakes, and it's like somebody throws an anchor out the back, and it's dragging <laughs> down the road behind you because yeah. the wings up, the carbon ceramics, and you're just doing this shit, fucking shaking all over the place, holding onto the wheel before you get into the corner. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's the most fun you can have. You know, with your clothes on, people don't understand. You know, when I talk to somebody and they're not a car guy, and they're like, ah, "I just can't be bothered," I'm just like, "Really?" Like. Oh, no, just give them a ride it. in the McLaren. That's all you got to do. Just give <laughs> them one the ride in that. And they're like, yeah, they always say, oh, why would you even want that? You know, the speed limit's 55 or whatever. You're like, listen, just let me give you a, a real fast ride around the block, and you will know within seconds yeah. uh, why the, the you know why I bought this car. Yeah, yeah, they're crazy. Um, let's talk about your channel and the um, whole red pill economic approach and the way that, you know, the government's running things. You know, I've seen hashtag and the Fed you know, around quite a lot on, on some merch and, you know, stuff on your channel. So like, what's your philosophy right now on the state of the Western economy? Is, is it good? Is it bad? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Like just overall from 30,000 feet? Well, fundamentally, it's in very bad shape. And it's, it's, very, it's very similar to a heroin addict in the sense that if you give the heroin addict enough heroin, sure, they can function. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be able to walk around. They might be able to go to the grocery store, um, but under, you know, underneath the skin, they're incredibly unhealthy, and uh, you know, maybe very near death. 
Uh, and so it's all about that heroin. And we've gotten to the same point, especially in the United States, uh, with first quantitative easing. And then with this government, uh, these government deficits that they've uh, now, you know, five trillion dollars for heaven's sakes in 2020 alone. What, what's, what, what instrument in the economy would be the heroin? Because, I mean, we know the addict is the U.S., right? But what is the actual instrument? The dollars they're creating out of thin air. Printing out dollars? You, yeah, we want to say monetary heroin. Mm-hmm. It's cheap money. It's, it's, it's them sending out stimulus checks mm-hmm. uh, to everyone for staying at home and not going to work. Uh, th- this, is, uh, this is a monetary drug, uh, whether you want to call it UBI, a welfare state. It, it's more and more government fiscal spending. How much uh, are they pumping out monthly to an individual in the U.S. right now? Oh, <laughs> it depends on which individuals you're referring to. But I mean, they just every single month, it's something else, Rich. They just came out with a, a child tax credit. Mm-hmm. which is a five, we've five. Had that, we've had that here for a long time. They, they probably ripped that off our system. Yeah, and it, but it's not a tax. I mean, they say it's a tax credit, but they're just sending people checks directly right. in the mail. Um, here in the United States, the average income is up almost 20% from where it was in 2019. Uh, this was, a, this was a, going back to uh, January, February mm-hmm. of this year. So you say, how on earth can that be? When the economy was locked down, when you have way higher unemployment, you have a lot of people that just refuse to go back to work. So how, how is that even possible? Well, it's possible when the government just continues to send people stimulus checks or increase their unemployment benefits or give them these uh, you know, child tax deductions. Um, and then also, too, on the uh, expense side of the equation, you know, here we had a rent uh or an eviction moratorium mm-hmm. where you couldn't kick people out. The landlords couldn't kick people out for not paying rent. So you had a lot of people that just said, screw it. I'm not going to pay rent. So and you had landlords was- carrying the, the the burden of running that home while they had a tenant in it, like a, basically a squatter, not, not paying rent, and they couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. And then they a lot of them had, uh, they didn't, wouldn't have to pay their mortgage because we had a, a a mortgage forbearance here as well. So oh, okay. So that moved on to the homeowners too. It, some of them. If you had a loan with Fannie and Freddie, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, wow. there are some stipulations there. But you, you've got the government coming in and creating all of these economic distortions. And what your viewers who might not have, uh, you know, might not be as, as as nerdy as I am when it comes to economics, the, the thing you just have to understand is that wealth is not a measurement of dollars or of of currency. That doesn't matter at all. What wealth is, is goods and services. It's a a society's ability to create goods and services. And if you want an extreme example, just go out to a deserted island with a chest full of a a million dollars, let's say. Uh, You know, how rich are you? You're dirt poor because there's there's no goods and services, right? You've got kindling, Uh, basically. You have something to start fires with. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much cash you have in that sense. It wouldn't matter how much gold or Bitcoin or anything you have. There's no goods and services for heaven's sakes. Right. So when when you look at this government, the distortions that they're creating through this deficit spending, you just have to ask yourself the question, Okay, is this going to create more goods and services in the future or fewer goods and services? And if it creates fewer goods and services, then by definition, we as a society are becoming more poor. And uh, I mean, let's look at uh, our example or, or 
let's use the two of us, right? My guess is your investment portfolio is larger today as far as the nominal value than it was in 2019. Of course, uh, yeah. For, for me, my investment portfolio is substantially larger. Mm -hmm. But then you have to ask the question, are you richer today or are you poorer? So let's say this another way. Rich Cooper, do you have access right now in Canada to more goods and services than you did in 2019 or fewer goods and services? Do you have more personal freedom today or less personal freedom today? Less freedom today. Definitely less freedom. That's right. And, and then you have access to fewer goods. My guess is it's like here in the United States, it's far harder to get a, a reservation at a restaurant. It, you used to be able to get an Uber in two minutes. Now it takes you 20 minutes if you can even get one. That's if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. You know, Try getting a rental car. They're just sold out everywhere. Mm -hmm. there's, there, there's far fewer goods and services. Therefore, even if your portfolio is significantly higher, even if we're getting more income, it doesn't matter. We're just getting these green pieces of paper. At, at the end of the day, it's about society producing goods and services. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and uh, this uh, is a guy I like a lot. His name is Simon Black. He's got a, a company called SovereignMan.com, just mm -hmm. to give him a shout out. But he was talking uh, to this gal that grew up in uh, Soviet Russia, right? And she made an, a very interesting point that I think kind of goes over a lot of our heads that grew up in the Western world, because we see, you know, Russia or back in the 70s and 80s as being very poor. That was a poor country, you know, but she said that they, they it wasn't they Everyone had money. Like that wasn't the issue. Everybody had money, but there was just no stuff to buy. So you sit there and you see a line, you know, you have to wait in line for uh, five hours to get a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., we, we associate that with not having enough money. But no, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is there's no goods and services, mm. you see. And that's what the United States is doing right now by not only quantitative easing, but especially they've kicked it into overdrive with this deficit spending that they that just has gone completely parabolic in 2020. And they'll have to continue to uh, maintain that level because it's like the heroin. You know, yeah. once you start taking that level of heroin, you got to take more and more and more to have the same effect. But the so what does the is, end look like? What's that? What does the end look like? Like, like how does this end? Where do you think this is going to go? Well, I mean, we've because been being a heroin addict is not a solution to life, right? Like that ends at some point, usually quite yeah. badly. Yeah, and that's exactly how it's going to end for the U.S. economy. So you've got you you have to have a deleveraging, just like the heroin addict has to get off the drug. Mm -hmm. But that time where they go through the withdrawals is very very difficult, and it's extremely painful. But what do you recommend guys do today to sort of prepare for that? Like, is it hedging with real estate, gold, Bitcoin? Well, that's a very broad question. I think that you have to, you, you've got to buy correctly. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to buy things when they're cheap. You've got to sell them when they're expensive. But I think mm -hmm. that the, the things that just the everyday person can do is make sure you've got some gold. And I, I like to do what I call a 10-80-10 portfolio. So 10% in gold, 80% in assets that pay me to own them. And then 10% 
in just speculations where I think there's good asymmetry there. Uh, Bitcoin would, would be an example of that. And a rental property would be a good example of something that pays me to own it. But the, the problem right now is you can't just say, well, rental property, because people go out there and buy it in California or Toronto, uh, as an example, and they probably have a negative carry on it. Well, I have a, I have a rental property in Toronto that I've had for, I don't know, since 2014 or something like that. Um, so what's your, do you have positive cash flow? I do because I don't have, like, I don't owe much on it. Um, but the rents have come down from like 2950, maybe 3000 a few years ago to about 2600. And, oh, wow. and the gold. value of the property, it, it's not moved much. I mean, it's, it's pretty static. It, you know, if anything with inflation, it's, you know, it's probably a losing bet right now as far as value, but that may change in a few years. I mean, people are moving out of cities, right? That's why there's so many vacancies. Yeah, well, here rents are, are are going up pretty much everywhere. But see that that's a good example of where do you it, live? You're in Arizona, right? Yeah, I'm in Arizona right now. I mean, okay. I, who knows where I'll be in six months? But I, I think it's it's a matter of of the deal, you know, and the numbers, and it, it's it not just a blanket statement. Now, back in 2012, you could have said, yeah, just buy real estate; mm -hmm. it's cheap. You know, mm -hmm. uh, today you can't do that, and you have to understand how to utilize debt. Because in the United States, as an example, that's really your asset when you're buying real estate. Now, it shouldn't be, but unfortunately it is. Uh, the, the debt, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is your asset because if we get substantial inflation, which I think we will long term, then you're going to be paying that loan back with devalued dollars. Mm. And if you're paying the loan back with devalued dollars, that's a transfer of wealth purchasing power from the lender to the borrower. And so I think right now it's the complete opposite that it usually is. Most of the time in a healthy market, the property would be the asset and the, the mortgage would be the liability. But I think it's flopped to where now the uh, liability is the property because you're buying at all time highs. But the asset is the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. That's where you're going to make your purchasing power that will compensate you from probably your loss of purchasing power that you'll have with the property. And people forget that you can lose purchasing power in real terms, but increase in nominal terms. So as an example, and, and you know, very few people, especially real estate, because the real estate guys get down in the weeds about the real estate, but they forget about macro. And so let's say you go out and buy a $100,000 property and it goes up in nominal price by 5% per year. And you say, well, wow, I'm getting rich. Well, not if we've got 10% inflation, you're not. Mm -hmm. Because now in real terms, you're losing 5% per year compounded. Mm -hmm. So you, you take that out, let's say, eight years at a 5% real loss, even though at a 5% nominal gain. And now you, that, that the, the value of that home and purchasing power has been cut in half. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I, why a lot I of people say, don't pay attention to those details though. They just look well past them because they, because they fall for the marketing crap, right? Like, Oh, you know, you're richer than you think, you know, just go and borrow and we'll throw you in this thing and you're, and you'll be wealthy in a few years. And most people don't understand like the deep dynamics, like, like there's a red pill with money. I, like, you know, there's red pill in relationship. Like it's, it's basically the uncomfortable truth about stuff that's peeled back behind the surface. People are yeah, very service, I mean, surface oriented, I, man. Yeah, but I think you hit the nail on the head there. And and if you I know that that's kind of a, a blanket term red pill and it gets way way overused. Mm -hmm. But the concept is the same. 
is that we, uh, you know, whether it's it, with relationships, um, men and women, we, we've we've been lied to for a long, long time. Uh, the, the way that they tell you the world works is not the way it works in reality. And it's the exact same thing with economics and investing. The, the, the way you were told it works, that that's completely irrelevant. Uh, you're whistling by the graveyard, mm-hmm. so to speak. And uh, if you want the, to take that economic or investing red pill, it, you're going to go through the same process as you went through by taking the red pill in looking at the opposite sex and, and, and relationships, it's going to be a struggle because of how you've been conditioned to view the world. And we've been conditioned to view wealth as currency units, as pieces of paper. And, and, th- and that is completely inaccurate. Just ask Venezuelans how wealthy they are. Because if you look at their nominal wealth, they, they're the wealth, every single person's a trillionaire. But, but of course, they're dirt poor. But in a currency that has no value. That's right. That's right. So that, that, and once people start going down that path, then they start to um, see how things truly are. And then that, like uh, being red-pilled in anything else, is kind of like having a sixth sense. And it's a huge edge, massive mm. edge. Mm. You, you said that you're only temporarily there. So I take it that you move around a lot? Like, is there a place in the world that you've, like sort of fancy or you just kind of like go where the wind takes you? Yeah, I like Medellin, Colombia. I've been mm-hmm. investing in real estate there since 2015. I've got an operation there. Um, the climate's fantastic. The people are great. Uh, the food is amazing. The cost of living is, is it's just, I love Medellin. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, it's not the place you want to be right now because of the lockdowns and the restriction. It, well, it's not the place you want to be if you enjoy personal freedom and liberty. Oh, why? They locked down the country? Which I well, I got stuck in a lockdown there, and it was very draconian. Okay. And uh, according to my employees, they're still making you wear masks in uh, grocery stores, and they're kind of haphazard. You know, they it's the same thing up- here, though, right? I mean, like you can't even sit down in a restaurant today and have a meal. I mean, you can sit outside on a patio with four people, but that's it. Well, see, that's why I'm in Arizona. Yeah, there's a lot because, more freedom there in Arizona, that, Texas, that, Florida. They, I don't want to put up with that. Yeah. I don't want to put up with that. So I'm fortunately, I've got the um, the resources and the lifestyle to where if if wherever's the mo- where I'm going to get the most uh, personal freedom, that's where I'm going. Well, that's what's your uh, take on this whole beer bug thing? Well, I think that initially there. You didn't know what the hell was going on. So you had to sit there and say, okay, we need to look at the data. We need to look at the R not value. We Dude, need to that's look exactly at what I did for the first three months. I'm like, okay, let's see the numbers coming. Let's see what's going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. But I even at the, the height of my concern, and this was way before the normies, let's say, got concerned. I'm talking about January, February of 2020. Uh, not, not, you know, April, I was, I was concerned then, but even back then when I would go on podcasts, I'd say, listen, we need to be concerned with this, but the one thing we don't want to do is get the government involved. The government needs to allow people to make their own decisions. If you want to stay inside, you go ahead and stay inside. What we don't want is the government coming in and locking people in their own house at gunpoint or taking their businesses away 
and doing all of these draconian measures because once they you want a big fat red pill on 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 people and humanity and and society i I was watching the show on uh, netflix basically about uh psychopath leaders around the world i can't remember what it was called but one of the things they said in it that really stood out is that human beings love being ruled and i was like oh shit i had to like rewind that for 15 seconds and then play it back i'm like he's right people love being ruled like they want a fucking ruler and it's yeah it's just bizarre to me man because i mean like it just doesn't feel right you know what i'm saying like it just doesn't feel right yeah i i look around the world today and um there's uh, there's a lot of opportunity but there's a lot of things to be concerned with Mm. and um at at some point in time we're going to have to pay the economic fiddler and um i don't know how much further they can kick the can down the road the problem is you feel the, like it's you know it's supposed to collapse at some time though right like you're like you know really like it's still going down the road well that there's that saying that the market can remain irrational way longer than you can remain solvent yeah you're right and 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 so but see that the thing is though just because they can kick the can down the road doesn't mean that you should bet that way mm-hmm. bet as though they're going to be able it's like blackjack you know i when i first started playing blackjack I was doing it to help train my kind of investing mind to think in terms of probabilities. Mm. So you you sit there and you've got two people at a blackjack table. Let's say I'm paying with someone who doesn't know what they're doing and they've got a 19 and they're going to hit because they think they're on fire, right? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to do that. That's uh, that, that's not a good play. You want to stay on three twos in the last like 10 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, and like, oh, George, you, you're just being, you're fear mongering. You know, yeah. I'm on fire here. And let's say they they hit and they get a two. You know, did they do the right thing or the wrong thing? And I would always argue they did the wrong thing hmm. uh, because if they continue to bet that way, they're going to go bust. And it's the exact same thing today with hmm. buying stocks or certain assets that are in massive, massive bubbles. That yes, the bubble can continue. But it doesn't mean that you're making the right investment decision by buying now. Just because your portfolio goes up mm. doesn't necessarily mean that you did the wrong, the right thing. Uh, you could have just gotten lucky. You could be a part of a bubble because even if you think you made money in the short term, if you continue with that strategy, you do not have an edge. You have a negative edge, and at some point, you're going to lose. What do you What do you think about cryptocurrency, DeFi, and Bitcoin specifically? Well, I think that they're very good speculations, uh, some of them. Uh, some things can be, uh, but you, you have to realize that it's a speculative asset and it's going to be uh, very volatile for, you know, at some point, if the whole world is using Bitcoin as as global money, then yes, it won't be vol- as volatile. But you, you got a long way to go to get to that point. And I think that people need to really compartmentalize the probabilities of Bitcoin going to uh, X price, let's say your price targets a hundred thousand, and then the probabilities of Bitcoin becoming global money, because those are two completely, completely separate questions. I don't think it's money. I feel like it's a store of value. I think Michael Saylor got got it right when he called it uh, digital real estate. Well, it's it might be digital real estate, but it's wildly volatile mm-hmm. uh, right now. So my my point, is, and then how do you how see the tough thing about Bitcoin is uh, how do you value it, right? And I, I think that it's it's very difficult to know when it's cheap 
quote unquote, and when it's expensive. And that's the very first question that I always ask myself. I, I never, if I could give your audience one piece of advice, it's to never worry about the price direction. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, the, that's what most people think about first. Well, what's the price going to do? Well, don't worry about it. Just ask yourself if it's cheap or if it's expensive. And if it's cheap, buy it. If it's expensive, sell it. You're not going to pick all the tops and all the bottoms. Um, but if you continue with that mindset, again, going back to probabilities, that's an edge. So how do you determine if Bitcoin is cheap? Uh, I don't know. But what I try to do is look at the, um, the market sentiment. Right. So you, you see like the Google searches just going parabolic when mm-hmm. it gets up to let's, you know, it was just up to 60,000 or whatever its peak was, 65,000, something like that. And then you see every single person on uh, CNBC talking about it. And, you know, you get in your Uber driver and they're talking about it. I had my housekeepers come over. When your uh, housekeepers start talking, talking about, about it. It's, yeah. They were talking about Bitcoin. That's so, when you start selling some off and taking profits. <laughs> Or at least you're not buying. You know, I, what I like to do is I like to have a long-term macro view, but then I like to just uh, create kind of a uh, a watch list, right? And it doesn't mean that I have to go out there and buy everything that I'm bullish on long-term. Mm-hmm. You know, copper would be a good example of that. I I'm, do like the volatility, though. Like, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, if you're if you're in and out and you know what you're doing, like the it's good. You know, it's you, good for you. Yeah, I, I think so. But as long as you compartmentalize it in your portfolio and yeah. understand what purpose it serves, uh, what what most people do is they don't think about portfolio construction at all. They don't think about risk reward. They just sit there and, and look at assets and then ask themselves, okay, do I think that's going to go up in price? Yes. Okay, I buy it. What about that thing? I think that's going to go up in price. Yeah, I'm going to buy that too. They, they don't understand how the, the two um, assets behave together in a portfolio over the long run. You know, example I can give to you, Rich, is an example I got from my good buddy, Chris Cole, who is the author of the Dragon Portfolio. He runs a a hedge fund called Artemis Capital uh, that specializes in volatility. And he put it better than anyone I've ever heard. He said, listen, you can have a team of five Michael Jordans, let's say, and you're not going to win as many championships as if you have a team with a Michael Jordan and a Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. You see, Dennis Rodman, no one would ever buy or go long a Dennis Rodman by himself because he, he couldn't make a shot outside two feet, right? So no one would ever look at that asset and say, oh my gosh, I, I've got to buy myself a Dennis Rodman uh, because that price is really, really, really going to go through the roof. Mm-hmm. No, they'd have five Michael Jordans, you see? But over the long run, the portfolio, or in this case, the basketball team, with not only Michael Jordan, but with uh, uh, Dennis Rodman, is going to perform better than the team with all Michael Jordans. What about Scott, Scottie Pippen? He never or Scottie Pippen or any of the other guys, <laughs> Steve Kerr, you know, that, that, uh, that kind of made up that team. Yeah. And so that's what people have to understand with their investments in their portfolio. It's the mm-hmm. exact same thing. I agree. They, they, they need to understand portfolio construction and not just try to figure out each asset within the portfolio if it's going up or down in price. What do you think of decentralized finance? Do you think this is something that's going to displace the financial institutions today? I think it's it's got its place, and I, I wish it would. Philosophically, I'm all about it. Mm. But, but again, it, it's a matter of 
of probabilities. And if you look at the way the system functions right now, the global monetary system, and you know, I, I could go into this for the next three hours, but you've got the, the, the commercial banks that have been in control of the creation of currency dollars for a long, long time, many, many decades. They're the ones that create new currency units by lending them into existence. So if you get a loan for a million dollars, those million dollars did not exist before. The bank created those out of thin air. So this process of how money is created around globally, uh, when you think of the dollar being the reserve currency, gets incredibly esoteric and very complex. And it's, a lot of it is done in the shadows where you really can't see it. But the whole thing is just basically a ledger system. That's all it is, is a, is a ledger system. And I think that you could come up with a, a decentralized ledger system, um, you know, obviously uh, with blockchain or, or Bitcoin, you know, they, they, the, the people would point to that and say, well, there you go. It's, it, it already exists. You could create something like that that would, I think, would be superior to what we have today, uh, a superior ledger system. And again, I want to reiterate that the entire global monetary system, all it is, is a big ledger system. Mm. That's it. Even the central banks, that's all they have is just an electronic ledger. And they just obey those specific rules that where all the banks agree that you have as much purchasing power as your bank account says you do. Because at the end of the day, it's just an electronic scoreboard, just mm. like basketball teams playing. Right. So I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds there, but I philosoph philosophically, I hope it does work out. It solves I, a lot of problems and it gives you a lot more control and freedom. That's for sure. Well, to the individual, that's right. Yeah. But it solves problems beyond your wildest, uh, what you can even conceive, because in order to explain how the euro dollar system works or the international uh, banking cartel or how dollars are created with the Federal Reserve, uh, that would take the next uh you know, that take hours and hours and hours, but that centralized uh, ledger system that we have right now is completely broken. And uh, the, the global economy will not function again on all eight cylinders until we fix it. And it's been broken since 2008. Yeah, and nobody, well, not nobody, but the vast majority of the population doesn't realize it's broken because if they did, they would all move to the blockchain and decentralized finance and it would just kind of collapse on itself. But I think what's going to have to happen is it's going to have to let people down and they're going to be left with no other option but blockchain, Bitcoin, DeFi technology. Yeah, so I, I talked to Breedlove, Robert Breedlove, about that the other day because we always kind of try to figure out the end game. And at my uh, event, the the last panel discussion we had was with myself, uh, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder, and, and Robert Breedlove, where we tried to kind of think through what this end game looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if we had a collapse in fiat currency. Did you um, have an agreement on that? What's that? Did you guys come to an agreement on that? Uh, no, no. Uh, Breedlove, so we said, okay, if fiat currency collapses tomorrow, then what do we do? Everyone agrees that the, the global governments would have to instill confidence. So then the question becomes how? And my, my answer was, okay, if it happens tomorrow, then I think they would instill confidence with gold uh, because it's just been the go-to for the last 5,000 years. Mm. But if this you know uh, system collapses in 10 years, 
And let's say at that point in time, Bitcoin is being used by such a a, a much larger. Well, percentage I think the gold market's what it's ten trillion. What's that? I think the gold market, you know, comes to about ten yeah, trillion and, and about Bitcoin. ten, and, and Bitcoin was up to about one. Probably now it's uh, yeah, so like one tenth of that. So you're right. Yeah. Well, it would, it's a lot it lower now. Gold. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, people have that familiarity with gold mm -hmm. uh, at scale, uh, and, and not as many people do with Bitcoin. But my point was, in five years or ten years, then I could have a different answer based on how uh, the adoption has gone uh, with Bitcoin, not just as a uh, store of value, but maybe even from a transactional standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then, so Snyder, um, who's the smartest guy on this topic I've ever seen. He kind of said, "I we don't know that we we I, we want to have a market solution, but uh, does it exist right now? Uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Maybe there has to be some tweaks, some changes made. But he thought that uh, what we would get in five to ten years uh, is not going to be what we have today because technology will advance so far. Mm -hmm. uh, Breedlove, uh, who I think would consider himself a Bitcoin maximalist." Uh, thought that the the answer would be uh, Bitcoin, and that's what uh, the private sector would gravitate towards. And then Brent Johnson um, said he he did not he didn't he couldn't even imagine what would happen if the fiat currency system uh, crashed or collapsed right now. Uh, but he said that we would have to think of a market based solution if we want a long term. Uh, you know, it can't be centralized again because he thinks that's where the loss of confidence is going to be, not just with the currency, but with the government and with the global elite themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, now whether that's Bitcoin or something else, you know, he, he he doesn't know. But it's a very interesting thought experiment. What 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 percentage of the government would you just cleave off right now? Like if you had, you know, 100 percent, you wanted to cleave off some of it to like, you know, cut off some of the fat. How much of it would you get rid of? Well, I'd take us back down to where we were prior to the Fed. So if in, you think about that, in terms of GDP, uh, prior to the Fed, the government represented about 5% of GDP. Government spending represented about 5% of GDP. That means that the private sector represented 95%. And as pretty much everyone on this live stream uh, or that watches this video, I, I, sh I think whether you're on the right or the left, you would agree that government is, for the most part, uh, much less efficient than the private sector. Uh, so you think about if the private sector is contr in control, let's say, of 95% of the economy, government 5%. Now, the government spending is almost 60 six zero percent of gdp in the united states that means the private sector is only responsible for 40 percent so think about that in terms of efficiencies or lack thereof so i would want to take it back to where government spending was uh five percent of gdp a lot to unpack with that. Let's get into a couple of these super chats here because uh, some have popped in before. I, uh, Moody Millennial, George is a real deal. Friend of yours? Oh, I think he's on my live streams all the time. Uh, yeah, that's the character that I use in my whiteboard videos. <laughs> okay. Um, Michael J says, I have a great business idea that can be monetized so many ways, but I have no idea how to start. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, I know I need help and no compete disclosure contract. 
I need help finding the right net help networking advice. I have advice on this. I want to hear you, George. So, but you know, go ahead, chime in. Yeah, I think a lot of people get the paralysis of analysis, and um, I would just get up and do it. I, I think so many people get hyper focused on uh, you know setting up LLCs and S corps and asset protection and non competes and, and sign this contract. Yeah. Uh, and and listen, I, I agree that at some point you want to cross that bridge. But you got far bigger fish to fry, my friend. Like making and, money. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. the point of a business, to make money. Yeah. So I, I see real estate investors do this all the time. Or they'll sit there and they'll spend $20,000 on setting up all these elaborate LLCs. And you'll ask them how many properties they have. And they'll say, well, I haven't bought one yet. But I have I'm, a great I'm, I'm idea ready. that can be monetized and it'll blow up, George. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I always encourage them to buy the property first. Yeah. And, you know, learn, use it as an, uh, an experience and, you know, then worry about the LLC, maybe 10th or 12th or 15th uh, down the list. That, that shouldn't be your biggest priority. But so my point, Michael, is, you know, work on your business. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but let's get the go out to investors. Let's get uh, let's get these things going. Um, I, I wouldn't be so. You know, I don't want to tell anybody this because they're going to steal my idea. Because let me tell you what, uh, an idea is worth basically zero. I mean, I, I hate to break it to you, but what's most important is the execution. Uh, you can have the best idea ever and it's not going to come to fruition. It's all about execution. So, uh, you know, so what if someone steals your idea, they'd still have to execute. And like, let's use uh, Rich's channel as an example. You know, okay, I had this great idea. I'm going to start a YouTube channel that talks about cars and red pill and relationships and all these things. That's that's my great idea. Oh, okay. But the, the, what's important is how you execute. And so there, you know, when Rich started his channel, there could have been uh, 10 other channels that had the same type of idea, the same type of content, but Rich executed he, he, he did it the right way. And so that's why he's here long term. And it's the same thing with a, a business. Focus more on the execution and less on the idea. That's very, very good advice. I co-sign all of that. Um, how much time you got, though, by the way? I forgot to ask you at the start. We're at the 60 minutes. No, it, it, it's up to you. What, I can go for another want? 30. You good for another 30? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let me ask you this question. So what's something that you wish men today would understand? Like if you could like have a sit down, you know, with guys and provide some clarity on, on something that you see men commonly do wrong? Well, boy, as far as their uh, investments or just in life in general? Generalize it. Or is investments the biggest problem, right? I mean, is there something really big there that they're not paying attention to that's in their blind spot? Well, I, I think it's where your focus is. And it, it, the people and guys have to understand that um, your focus should be being the, I, I, I'm going to use your term, you know, the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And it, whether it's finances, whether it's fitness, whether it's your mental state, um, that needs to be, everything needs to revolve around that. Because once you've got that squared away, the, the rest falls into place. Uh, it really does. And so many guys kind of, you know, are chasing things that really um, don't matter in, in the grand scheme of things. You know, they're out there chasing women 
as an example. And if they would just take that same energy and allocate it to chasing something else, to improving themselves, then they would get both. They, then they would have the money, they would have the lifestyle, they would have the personal freedom, which is, at the end of the day is what it's all about. But then you would also have a, a, a significant amount of, sec, uh, of, uh, of success with uh, women or, you know, with, with other relationships, you know, whether it's um, hanging out with people that uh, you respect and enjoy, uh, you know, communicating with, um, it, it, you know, let's look, look at my uh, podcast as an example. You know, I could have sat there and focused on a hundred different things, but because I sat and focused on expanding my own knowledge and creating content and trying to seek out other individuals that were a lot smarter than I was, that I could learn from and improve my own skills. Now, all of a sudden, I've got the opportunity to uh, set up this live event to talk to you. You know, I've met Rolo was out at my live event. I got to meet him personally. So you you get all of these opportunities by going out there and just making it happen on your own. And if I would have, uh, you know, if I would have gone the other direction, I I don't think I would have had. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to have the success that I have in so many different areas. You know, uh, I guess that that's the best way that I can put. It. That's that probably sense. the best advice I could give them. No, there's some, there's some, there's some gems in there. Uh, Jeremiah says, "My advice to men under forty: stop valuing women, and they will value you. Learn a skill, spend all your money on starting the business exactly like he said." Yeah, and be careful have, with oh. all your money starting a business. I like to bootstrap businesses. I mean, my view on it is if you can't get it off the ground, bootstrap, and there's no point. Yeah, and, and you've got to. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's so many things that I've learned over the years, like selling the farm to start a business. I just don't ever think it's a great idea. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I was I was talking to uh, I was having dinner with with Robert and Kim uh, Kiyosaki the other day. And um, they, they were telling me that, that one of the things that they learned at a very early age from a mentor that they had uh, was if um, you should be making money off of other people's money. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, the only reason you're not is because you're too lazy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly how they, they, they phrased it, right? So um, – I think that the, the access, especially in today's world, the access to startup capital is just almost limitless. So uh, I don't think that should be what you're what you're most concerned with. It's it's going back to that execution and figuring out how, what gives you that edge, and then going out there and doing it. Just do it, do it, do it. Prove the concept, and then take the plan. And then go to someone who who might be able to or would even be interested in financing the project. It's just you know, guys and gals, the entrepreneurs, that they, they a lot of times they get things in reverse and they just get in their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but an, another thing on that note, though, is that I would want men and women to realize is that to be successful, you have to be willing to sacrifice things that other people are not willing to sacrifice that's the bottom line that that's the only way to to get ahead in the world is you've got to get out there and hustle and if you want to achieve let's say you want to be in the top five percent of men 
you have to be willing to sacrifice what those other 95% were not willing to sacrifice. And there is no, um, uh, what do they call it? Cheat code. That, that's the word you, the term you use all the cheat time. Cheat code to life. There, yeah. there is no cheat code. There's no cheat code to making money. There, there's no cheat code to this. I mean, again, using your YouTube channel, you know, how many hundreds or thousands maybe of you videos. Know much, you know how much uh, hate I get for talking about stuff like that? It's unbelievable, man. Like, I get a lot of hate from guys who are like, he's a snake oil salesman. He's making shit up. He's just trying to sell you stuff. It's like, nope. I'm just spitting facts, my friends. That 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 is absolutely true. I mean, you look at any type of uh, success that I had, uh, and it's it, because what I was willing to sacrifice. And the 80-hour uh, constant, I mean, never taking a day off, the work ethic, the focus, uh, the OCD, it's it's uh, the the willingness to take risk. I mean, very few people are are you know most people would rather just go have a nine to five gig mm -hmm. and take weekends off and have their whole life planned for them. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't. Uh, it's a it's a rare breed that uh, actually wants the. You got to be a little bit crazy to start a business. A lot crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and what's interesting, too, is that you have to be the complete opposite of a good investor. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I had to learn when I retired was that because entrepreneurs see opportunity in everything. Yeah. Uh, where a good investor should see risk in everything. And I, I had to learn that the hard way. Mm -hmm. uh, but once it dawned on me, you know, it, it made a lot of sense. And I'm like, George, you know, do, when you're investing – you got to take your entrepreneurial hat off because uh, they don't they don't blend. Yeah, did I ever talk to you about the differences between playing to win and playing not to lose? No, so, but, but that's that's a good way to look at entrepreneurship and investing. Yeah, basically, like I had this retreat and um, there was about eight of us together. And it was facilitated by the guy that was the one of the founders of Entrepreneurs Organization. Like he was a former C, um, president and CEO, but he had this guy down in my group and he said something to him that just like never went away from me. And he said, you know, in life as an entrepreneur, you're either playing to win or you're playing not to lose. And he goes, you, my friend are a racehorse giving pony rides, which is basically, you know, playing not to lose, which is, which yeah. is fine. You know, like you can play not to lose when you've acquired your wealth. Like you're 40, 50 years old, you've made a ton of money. You're playing more on the defense. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say an investor, should play not to lose. Right. The number one rule is don't lose money. An investor plays not to lose. A entrepreneur plays to win. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Awesome. I love chopping that up, man. That's. Uh, I don't know if that would have come out if we didn't get into that. Christopher Rowbottom uh, says, "What are your thoughts on the British Columbia Canada housing market? You always hear about the bubble breaking. The laws favor the renter to a point that seems to risk the investment." As a holder of real estate in Canada myself, um, I'm not big on it. I think I'm going to start to unload, to be honest with you. And, well, you just um, have to ask yourself if it's cheap or if it's expensive. Yeah. And, it's, and I don't think there's anything uh, cheap about Canadian real estate right now. No. Like and, um, uh, That answers. I'll, again, don't I'll give you an idea, George. So you tell me what they go for in Arizona, but like here in downtown Toronto in the core, you're going to be paying about 900000 for two-bedroom, two-bath just under 800 square feet and you get a parking spot and a storage locker, which is like um, six by six, basically. It's a right. But what, so let's say a million bucks. So what can you rent it out for? 26, 2700. See, that is horrible, right? That is, that is absolutely atrocious. 
Now, if you could rent that out for 10,000 a month, now you got a 1% RV ratio. That's not bad. But see, my point is that that last um, viewer, uh, he's focusing on exactly what I'm talking about. It was uh, this guy here. See, what what question is he trying to answer? He's trying to answer, is the price going to go up or down? That's what, I'm sorry, Christopher, I I, I don't want to, you know, this is a good question. I'm glad you asked it. But this is the point I'm making. You're trying to figure out if prices are going up or down. I'm saying I would suggest not doing that. I would suggest forgetting about what direction the price is going and just ask yourself if it's cheap. And if it's not cheap, don't buy it. And if it's expensive, sell it. That's it. Don't don't worry about which direction the price is going. You, you know, you've, and it, you've it, talked about prices crashing up. Yeah. Can you Absolutely. can you clarify that for the uh, viewers? Because I don't think we've talked about it on my channel yet. Yeah. So let's say you buy a place this a place in Canada for a million bucks, and it goes up by you know like we were saying five percent per year. Uh, but if inflation goes up at ten percent per year, you're you're actually losing purchasing power, even though the nominal price of the asset is going up. And, and that's another reason why you'd want to secure real estate with 30-year fixed rate debt. And I know if that's not an, an, an option in Canada, well, then just buy it in the U.S. It's, it's super easy for uh, Canadians to invest in the, in the U.S. But again, the numbers have to be right. You know, going back to that RV ratio, it, most people, they take that million dollars, they get 2,600. That's a 2.6%, or excuse me, a, um, a 0.2 per six, two. Uh, a 0.26% RV ratio. So the RV ratio is the amount of gross rent you're getting based on your cost basis. So that's terrible when you could take that same million dollars and buy 10 $100,000 homes, let's say, at a 1% RV ratio and get $10,000 a month. Mm. So that's what I'm saying, that you, you've got to look at things in, in those terms. And you know, going back to um, uh, March of 2020, which is when I... I most recently bought the, the the most amount of uh, equities. You know, I thought back then that oil was going to continue to go down in price because it was about 20 or 25 a barrel. And, uh, but I w- wanted to play by my own rules and I went heavy, heavy, heavy and bought a massive amount of not only oil producers, but a lot of com- com- uh, commodity producers at the time. Now, but I thought that the price was still going down. But I still bought. Why? Because it was cheap. It was cheap. When you look at a historic chart adjusted for inflation, you, that that's where you've got to start. And if you look at the housing market in BC or in Canada in a chart going back 40 or 50 years adjusted for inflation, I can promise you you're at all-time highs. Mm. Uh, and, and even, and I know that by just looking at the the rent and the RV ratio that you just told me, that's extremely, extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that, that, that's how I, that's the best advice I can give to that person. But I mean, a lot of guys out there have the, you know, have the notion that, um, you must acquire real, you know, real estate to be anybody, right? Well, so like they'll, like they'll good. fight tooth and nail to do whatever they can to acquire real estate. A lot of it. You know, I see a lot of guys in relationships with women. Like I've had renters in and out of my condo. Yeah. It's like whenever they leave, it's always because they get pregnant and she wants to buy a place. One or the other or a combination of both. 
Yeah, well, now you're talking about household formation, and and that takes us back to a conversation that we've had before, an even deeper conversation about, uh, you know, where this is headed from a standpoint of demographics. And um, again, I don't. I, if you want to get fixated on the price, which I don't think you should, but you, you got to start thinking about those demographics and the trends. And the the, the thing that uh, the guys on this channel who are quote unquote red pilled they have a huge advantage that I don't even think they understand. Mm -hmm. They have an economic advantage because they understand demographics a lot better than most economists. And what I mean by that is that you guys talk about, uh, you know, the, the Pareto distribution where 20% of the guys are, uh, you know, dating 80% of the women. Uh, but that Pareto distribution, in my opinion, is shrinking. It's where now it's like five, like 95% of the women want to date like 5% of the guys. And so you, you've got, and then you guys talk about hypergamy all the time. And with, with women, uh, you know, increasing their education levels and making more and more money, that means that there's fewer and fewer guys that are acceptable to them. Uh, whether that they're justified or not, that's another conversation. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so what this means is fewer and fewer babies being born, and less household formation. Well, that means less population over the long run, and population problems like we've seen in Japan. That's hugely deflationary, uh, especially for asset prices. So that's not a prediction. That's just to say that that's one of the cross currents that we have to consider when we're thinking about real estate, when we're thinking about the future of the Western economy in and of itself, and that guys and gals who are, are quote unquote red pilled uh, in, in what you and Rolo talk about, I think they've got a big advantage that, uh, like I said, that they don't even realize because they, I think, have a better, uh, they can predict the probabilities of population changes a lot better than most people can. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah says, I agree. 39 single 23 year old girlfriend with no kids who knows there is no marriage contract coming. Uh, I say yes, except I'm building a full service plumbing business. The first 10 years is brutal. Great show today. Thank you. Both of you. Thanks, man. Yeah. So I agree. 39 single. So his girlfriend's he's 39. His girlfriend's 23 with no kids. And he doesn't sound like he's getting married. I said, I'd say yes, except I'm building well, it's, it sounds like he's chasing excellence, not not women. So good for him. Yeah, I mean, I think focused he, on the business. Yeah, he's doing exactly what you need to do, and just uh, don't get one itis. I mean, if 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 the gal's great, then she's great. Uh, you know, keep her in your inner circle, um, but just get fixated on, uh, you know, pursuing the best in 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 pursuing the business, pursuing wealth. Uh, you know, becoming a better person mm. uh, in general and, and per personally and professionally. And, but that, see, the thing is, that's what you're going to need to do to, uh, keep the relationship healthy anyway. Uh, then that's what most guys, they get turned around while they get in that relationship. And they think that what they need to do to maintain a healthy relationship or a fun relationship is just, uh, you know, tell the girl, the gal, she's good looking, uh, 24 hours a day, tell her you love her five times a day buy her flowers, you know, and do all these things. And they, they just don't understand that, that that may work for a month or two. But if you're not out there creating wealth and, um, and you know, having that ambitious attitude, 
and chasing excellence, the, the gal's not going to respect you. And it's just a matter of time before the relationship deteriorates, in my opinion. Well said. Um, stay curious. Want you to come around here more often, my friend. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, uh, it's, it's great to talk about these concepts. I like just learning from people in general. Uh, that, that know more than I do about a variety of topics, and that's uh, what's been your biggest takeaway watching my channel? Because I mean, you've said a few times that you're that you've watched quite a bit of the stuff. Oh, I, I've got a lot of takeaways from from watching your stuff, uh, Rich. I mean, we've talked about the, the my main takeaways, but I think you're just a great example of uh, of of what the opportunity is out there. And uh, I think you should be, um, you know, kind of motivational or inspirational to people watching your channel because you came from the blue pill side and you, you didn't allow that. You didn't stay in that rut. You know, once you recognized that there was a deficiency in your thinking, you did everything you possibly could to change it and become better. Right. And then we, you know, I don't know, would you start your YouTube channel like six years ago, five years ago? 2014, May 23rd, 2014. Yes. Like six years ago. And you just kept working on it and working on it, not only the YouTube channel, but improving your understanding of how the world works. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and look at how um, I, I would assume that, that now uh, you don't have as much of a struggle with uh with dating or i don't know that you ever did but i would assume that now you have far less struggles with dating than you did prior uh to starting the youtube channel hmm. and uh but every I, I would assume that in every aspect of your life is probably better oh, than yeah. it was prior to starting that youtube channel because you have tried to increase your knowledge improve your yourself and you, you know you practice what you preach you got to be curious as a man I mean, you really do. Yeah, but I, I think that's what, what makes your content great is because you practice what you preach and people can see that and they, and they can see the results that you've obtained for your own life mm. and, they, and they know that it's possible. And I think that's what's so inspirational. So stay curious, my friends. <laughs> um, let's get to, to winding this down. Um, who should be watching your channel, George? Who should be watching it? People who want to have an edge in predicting economic probabilities in the future. And people who, um, who viscerally understand that there are risks out there that, that are underneath the surface. You know, they see the Federal Reserve... Uh, print quote unquote printing money. They see all these stimulus checks go out, and and they just they're like something doesn't seem right here. I don't know what it is, but something doesn't seem right. And I either want to increase my wealth in the future, or I want to uh, preserve my current uh, amount of purchasing power. But I know that there are a lot of risks out there that I don't even understand, and I need to understand those risks. So I can make better financial decisions for my future. Uh, that's the type of person that would really benefit from my channel, I think. There you go, guys. Let's do this one last super chat. Uh, Duca says, I have a startup. 30,000 net 
every month or sell it by 1.5 million to invest? I have a startup, 30,000 net every month or sell it. So I think he's asking whether he should sell it or continue to earn the money. Uh, I need to decide. Yeah, it's a pretty big multiple in 30K a month. I was going to say, I'd, I, I'd sell that thing yesterday. If you get that <laughs> multiple, I mean, that, that's a home run, man. Just yeah. take the money and run. Um, I need to decide until the end of the year. Maybe I'm getting lazy because I want to invest and get dividends. He's 28 years old. Um, I, I'd concur with George. I mean, like, unless you have like major upside in the next 24 months, pretty guaranteed. Um, but even if you sell, the, 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 the owner should want to keep you around in some capacity to where you still have equity. Yeah. To where you, you could uh, participate in in the upside there, assuming that you started the business. And this this brings up a good point, though, and another uh, piece of investment advice that that I give people is, the, I think the first thing that you should do is try to cover your your monthly expenses through passive income if you can do it. Mm. Right. So I had, I talked to a lot of business owners and like, you know, what should I do with my cash? What should I do with my cash? Because a lot of them, they get a much higher return on their investment if they just dump it back into business, but yet they feel as though they're not diversified. Mm. Right. And which, and that makes a lot of sense. And I always say, listen, take profits and just buy stuff that pays you to, to own it, whether it's dividend paying stocks or real estate that's good positive cash flow with good numbers. Um, it doesn't have to be in the U.S. It can be other places. But let's say your monthly nuts, uh, ten or fifteen grand. Okay, well, make go out and invest in enough stuff to where you've got that ten or fifteen grand coming in per month uh, from from passive investments, and then go ahead and take the money that your cash flow and allocate it to where you're getting the highest return. And I I think that uh, if if people did that especially entrepreneurs that are that have been successful and are successful that moving forward they'd be able they'd they'd have a willingness to take a lot um well I don't want to say they'd have a willingness to take more risk but but they'd have a willingness to take a smart risk in the future that they might not otherwise have because of, the, of this fear of loss you know, when we start off, we, all we see is opportunity. We just want the opportunity. But once you've made a bit of money, um, then you start to get in that camp where, uh, I think you have a fear of losing, uh, what you've already, uh, earned and what you've already made instead of just seeing nothing but opportunity in the future when you don't have a pot to piss in. Sounds like he's a SaaS business. Um, yeah, it's interesting because SaaS, for those of you that don't know, is software as a service. Mm. Um, many of them have no monthly revenue. It can sell for stupid multiples. I think, um, what was it? It was Instagram that sold for a billion dollars, like within 36 months of startup, and it didn't really have any revenue. Like, uh, you know, stuff like that does happen. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's a, a great multiple. Uh, I, I don't know the business, but again, if I was in this person's shoes, what I would be doing, even, even if I didn't sell the business, my first priority would be taking my money and buying enough assets that pay me to own them to where it covers my monthly nut. And then, you know, take all the excessive cash flow and dump it back into the business. There you have it, guys. So on that note, we'll wrap up. Uh, go subscribe to George Gammon's YouTube channel. He has a, a podcast show called The Rebel Capitalist. You also do a conference. What's the conference called again? Rebel Capitalist Live. Rebel Capitalist Live. So you can check that all out off his YouTube and his uh, website as well. So 
Thanks for joining us, George. Go subscribe. Don't go anywhere. I want to talk to you for a minute after we get off, but we'll see you guys.